Welcome to Word Theatre Weekly, where each Saturday we share stories from our archive of live performances of the world's best short stories, recorded in Los Angeles, New York, and London. I'm your host, Cedaring Fox, Word Theatre founder and artistic director. Please note that Word Theatre holds the copyright to these recordings, so no portion of anything you hear may be reproduced without permission. We've been offering these stories to you, our worldwide listeners, for over three years now. And we would love to get some feedback. What do you think? Simply shoot us an email, admin at wordtheater.org, with any comments or requests. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're finding us. This week, we bring you to the colossal and divine Debra Damo, a cliffside monastery in the Ethiopian highlands, through the words of Henry Louis Gates Jr. Enjoy hearing Keith David, who is currently featured in the brilliant film American Fiction, as he transports you to this sacred place through our narrator's anxiety-inducing tale. Here is Ropeburn. The link between the sacred and the profane is a tenuous one, but never more so than at Debra Damo, the oldest monastery in black Africa. The monastery sits at the edge of a 50-foot cliff, right on top of a mountain in the Ethiopian highlands. For the past 1,500 years, the only thing that has connected it to the secular world below is a couple of leather ropes that dangle from its gatehouse. Not long ago, I found myself at the base of the cliff, peering up and asking myself just how badly I wanted to make it up there. <laughs> I'd had a lifelong fascination with Africa. I had spent a year in rural Tanzania when I was a college student, had studied African cultures as an adult, and had recently begun making a series of documentaries about the continent. This time, I thought I'd explore some of Africa's less visited corners. And that's how I ended up contemplating the doubtful integrity of an extremely elderly piece of leather. According to legend, the monastery was founded by Za Mikael, one of the nine saints who spread the doctrine of Christianity through the region. Since there was no way to scale the mountain, he decided that its top would be a perfect place for worship, meditation, prayer, and penitence. But how to get there? God conveniently commanded a snake to coil its tail around Zamikael and lift him to the pinnacle. God also commanded the archangel Gabriel to stand guard with a drawn sword as Zamikael ascended and assure that the snake would do him no harm. Because, well, you never know about snakes. The monk shouted, Hallelujah, when he arrived at the mountaintop. And thus, the monastery gained one of its by-names, Deborah Hallelujah. Za Mikael's miracle soon attracted the attention of a great king of the region who granted the saint's request that a church be built on the site where the serpent had deposited him. 
In order to build the church, the king first had a ramp constructed. Then, once the church was completed, Tsar Mikael uttered the word, Damemo, which means, take it all. And the ramp was destroyed. Damemo was eventually shortened to Damo, thereby giving the monastery its most common name. As I stood at the base of the cliff, and just to get that far had taken a 20-minute climb past huge boulders and gnarled, ancient-looking tree roots, all I could see at the top was a door-like frame. Before me were two ropes, one made of plaited leather and the other of sewn-together strips of cowhide swaying gently in the breeze. What I wanted was a little chair strapped securely to a fail-safe rope and pulley mechanism, and a few robust, youthful monks at the top pulling me smoothly up the face of the mountain. But there was no chair, no harness, no system of pulleys, no robust monks at the top waiting to welcome the pilgrim home to Mother Africa. There was only one old monk, about my father's age, pretending that he could pull me up by that cowhide strap, which was so frayed and discolored that it might have dated back to the 6th century. He looked like a bronzed elf as he peered over the edge of the cliff, his snow-white goatee framed in what I imagined was the doorway to eternity. The end of the strap was formed into a loop, and it slipped easily over my head and settled around my chest. Suddenly, I felt it go taut. My instructions now were to grasp hold of the plaited leather rope and hand over hand walk my way up the precipice, my body parallel to the ground. My feet found their way into crevices worn into the cliff, and I began to scale it like a human fly or, or a cat burglar, <laughs> or anyway, someone who knew his way around the Ethiopian highlands. Then. When I was about halfway up, my feet lost their grip. And as the craggy, nearly vertical incline gave way to a sheer smooth rock face, slipped off the side of the mountain. I was now dangling from that line, unanchored like a side of beef. The strap constricted my chest like a noose, and I could scarcely breathe. My abject terror settled on a question. Which vista would be less sickening? The view down or the view up? Should I contemplate the 25-foot drop to the rocks below, or the equivalently daunting distance that separated me from the sanctuary in the sky? It was onward and upward for me, and with considerable difficulty, I summoned my breath to urge the wizened monk, pull, pull, pull. I couldn't swear he heard me. I could see his face, and the strain of, the, of my dead weight was showing. In Ethiopia, a monk has the legal status of a dead man. <laughs> Monks pay no taxes, do not appear in censuses, and cannot vote. They are, in fact, known as the living dead. They read scriptures in ancient ecclesiastical language of Gies. They dedicate their lives to preparing for heaven. Now, all in all, I wasn't convinced that this monk would handle what I considered now my lifeline. 
I didn't think he would handle it in, in entirely the right spirit. If the rope snapped and I fell to my death, he might think he had done me a favor. That wasn't the kind of salvation I was hoping for. Besides, the holy geezer scarcely seemed strong enough to raise me, and my body hung uselessly in midair, legs pumping like wily coyotes just before he realizes he's just overshot the cliff. <laughs> then I noticed that I'd begun to move, slowly, inch by inch, but steadily, until the wooden stump which the rope was tied came into my view. I reached out and grabbed it and soon found myself dragged through the open door to safety. Hallelujah! You saved my life, I gasped pathetically. I was winded by the grip of the leather around my chest, marks from which would be visible for several days. For a brief while, I lay there on the sacred earth, promising God and myself that I would try to be a better person and wondering what grand act of charity I could embark upon to make these things right with the order of the universe. Only then did I realize that within a few hours, I would have to go through it all over again. There was no other way down. What if I stayed where I was? Dedicating myself to the hereafter taking a vow of poverty, joining the living dead in an existence of communal holiness. That prospect was just at that moment more pleasing than the alternative. My beard would grow snowy, my skin leathery from the highland rays, and my arms sinewy and strong. My eyes would acquire that faraway serenity of the truly sanctified. And I wondered how long it would take me to become fluent in geese. <laughs> Stories belong to everyone. And in honor of Black History Month, we've been shining a spotlight on some of our favorite authors. John Edgar Wideman, Lorna Goodison, Henry Louis Gates. These stories play a quintessential role in defining and understanding what it is to be an American. Henry Louis Gates is a celebrated American writer who has authored over 20 books and written for many prestigious institutions, such as the New York Times. He's also received multiple awards, including a gold medal from the National Institute of Social Sciences. If you're in Los Angeles on March 9th, please join us for a performance of Randall Keenan's Black Folk Could Fly, which I first adapted for a performance at the Brooklyn Center for Fiction in September of 2022, when the book was released by W.W. Norton. Mr. Gates gave a quote for the book cover, which reads, This collection is a tribute to one of the great writers in the African-American tradition and ensures Randall Keenan's place in the canon. It also reminds us how much we need to hear his voice today. So if you're anywhere near Los Angeles, please join us will be at the Fernando Pullum Community Center with four great actors stepping into Randall Keenan's words. If you're enjoying Word Theater Weekly, you'll find books by the authors we feature at bookshop.org slash shop slash word theater. Thanks for tuning in today. A special shout out to philanthropist benefactor Ola Strom for believing in word theater. Thanks to Glass Animals for our theme music. And thank you to the LA County Department of Arts and Culture for their ongoing support. 
thank you to our interns, our executive assistant, Scout Riley, and our podcast editor, Jason Lee. Head over to wordtheater.org to learn more and join the Word Theater family. We'd love to have you. Until next week, this is Cedaring Fox, signing off. <laughs>